We shall read a portion of God's word in the prophecy of Ezekiel and in the 37th chapter. <clears throat> now let us turn uh, for a few moments to the portion of scripture we read together. <clears throat> In the, in the prophecy of Ezekiel and the 37th chapter. And we shall read again at the ninth verse. <clears throat> the ninth verse of chapter 37 in the prophecy of Ezekiel. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, and they, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. <coughs> the Bible contains illustrations, allegories, and parables. In this portion of the prophecy, of Ezekiel, uh, we have an illustration of the Church of Christ in, a, in spiritual deadness. And it is possible for a living church uh, to decay and, and go into this kind of state gradually, not immediately, but gradually. We see that in connection with the seven churches in Asia. When the Spirit is sending a message from the Lord Jesus Christ to the seven churches, we have seen how some of them have deteriorated and lost their first works and some of them deceiving themselves are like Laodicea. They had the, the professing Christians in that church had no knowledge of their own needs. But they had a form of religion. And they, perhaps, they thought they were glorifying and enjoying God. Now we see many of these in our own day and we have the Bible as the word of God to instruct us how we may be delivered uh, from such a state. <clears throat> At the time of this prophecy uh, the, the, the Israelites, that is the church of God in the, of the Old Testament they were for 70 years under 
the dominion of Babylonian monarchs. And when they were first brought into captivity, they thought it would be for a brief period, and then they would be released and come back. But as the years went on, and they were there for 70 years, and eventually their hope of deliverance seemed to to decay away. And they state that in this chapter. And it is God reading their minds and informing the prophet accordingly. They say that that, uh, <coughs> that they are... Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off on our part. Now they had concluded that God had given them over, that they were and that they were lost and they had adjusted themselves accordingly. <clears throat> now the prophet Ezekiel um, was among them in captivity and they had the message, the messages that God sent to the church delivered to them by him. Now, I would like to draw your attention to two or three things that that are before us in in these words. Then he said unto, unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now, I would like to draw your attention uh, to a few things in order that we might grasp the situation and that we might be able uh, to deliver ourselves and others from falling into the same condition. First, I would draw your attention uh, to to the vision granted to the prophet. And secondly, the question which was addressed to him, can these bones live? And thirdly, the command given to him. And lastly, the result. <clears throat> now, the vision granted to him, uh, he, be, he tells us, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. Now, it does not mean that the, that the spirit of the Lord took Ezekiel bodily and carried him to a certain valley, where he actually saw this. Uh, the word, the word is quite clear. In, in another way, if we understand that he means he was taken there in the spirit only. I mean, he, he was in the spirit himself. And he saw these things with his, with his spiritual sense. <clears throat> and he, and he, he was still, uh, wherever, wherever the Lord spoke to him, and uh, perhaps, um, um, 
many, many, many miles away from where he actually had seen this vision. And <clears throat> he was carried in the spirit and sent down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. And there were two things that that caught his attention. <clears throat> he was made to walk round about them, and two things he observed, that they were many, and that they were very dry. They had been, as it were, there for a countless number of years, under a blazing sun, under all kinds of weather, and they had become uh, so dry and so brittle that they would seem as old, old bones. And the valley was full of these bones. He took note the, the large number of bones and their state of decay, that they were very dry. Now that is a very graphic description of the state of the church as it was in captivity in Babylon. You, if, we know, if we would know something of the way of worship that was given to the Old Testament church, there were, there were many things that couldn't be done but in Jerusalem itself. They were deprived of the sacrifices and of most of the ceremonial law. They were deprived of the prophets and all these things. And without them, uh, they, cannot, they cannot really... They, they didn't know how to worship. <clears throat> now there are churches like that. Members of the Roman Catholic Church are in a very a difficult condition if they're separated uh, from, uh, from their church. <clears throat> I, uh, perhaps I mentioned this uh, before here, that I was traveling with a middle-aged man who was working at Gaelok, and I was traveling from Kyle to Inverness with him. And we were only two of us in the, in the compartment. And he said to me, when I asked up, um, how was he lacking, the place he was working in. He said, I like the place and the conditions very much, but he said, what is difficult, he said, is there is no access to a church. And, and I asked him, I said, have you got a Bible? And he said, no. And I asked him then a few more questions. I said, do you know the New Testament? No. Do you know the Epistle to the Romans? anything about it. No, he never heard of it. And the man was middle-aged. And he didn't know anything about the Bible. He was wholly dependent, you see, on the priest. Now, the Israelites were in similar condition when they were separated from the ceremonial laws of the church that were under the Old Testament. They felt completely lost. They didn't know how to worship God or how to approach him or anything. And without that worship, they were drying up. They were as, like bones cast out into the field. <clears throat> now, they weren't all like that. 
though the large majority of them were so, Daniel continued to pray to God three times a day. And he opened according to the rules given to them when King Solomon consecrated uh, the, the temple. Uh, he said if they were cast away even to the ends of the earth, if they turned their faces toward this place, Lord, hear and answer. And Daniel was doing this thing three times every day and, and they knew this that he was opening the window that was facing towards Jerusalem and praying towards that spot where God had set the worship before they were carried away into captivity. And so were others like Shadrach, Misho and Abednego. They were prepared to go into the fire rather than cease to worship the God of heaven. But the large majority of the people were completely lost. They didn't know how to approach God. They didn't know how to pray. They didn't know anything at all of themselves. They had to be taught. Perhaps there are many here. And they, they do not know. Perhaps you're here and you cannot approach God. You don't know what to say or what to ask him or how to do it or anything concerning your own salvation. <clears throat> Many a person have confessed that they did not know really what to ask God or how to ask it or anything concerning other salvation. <clears throat> now there was a when the prophet in his vision was going round these dead decayed bones and he was asked a question and he couldn't answer it. The question was, can these bones live? And how could they? How could the how could the prophet answer such a question? If it were someone else whom he knew, another person in captivity, or if it were a um, any other human being would have asked him can these bones live he could at once say it is impossible it would need a new creation and therefore he, he says when he was asked the question uh, can these bones live he says thou knowest he believed that God could use these bones again, that these bones could live. And how they were to live and how they were to stand, he couldn't, he couldn't understand nor could not tell. But he knew something of the power of God. And when God asked him such a question, he just answered, Thou knowest, thou knowest what to do, because he understood that here was a picture, if we can use the, the illustration, that here was a picture of the church of God in captivity. And could they live again? <clears throat> now the command given to him 
was to prophesy to these dead bones. Now, if you could imagine yourself in the the place of Ezekiel, commanded to preach to thousands and thousands of bones. They weren't just mere skeletons, but bones scattered all over the fields. And, uh, and numerous. These two things uh, arrested him. How numerous they were and how dry they were. And it was to them that he was to preach. To preach to those who had no hearing or eyes or anything to see. To preach to real dead decayed bones that had been, that was withered, as I said, by the sun and by the wind and the rain for years and years to preach to such. Now, the preacher of the gospel is going forth to preach to such people who are as dead spiritually as can be. They do not understand anything spiritual or how they can what they not understand what they can do in order to be saved. We find the same ignorance concerning those who are those who are taught in Israel as well as the pagans uh, in Rome. When they come under concern for their eternal salvation, they do not know what to do. The jailer and we hear him, the Roman jailer, calling out, what shall I do? The lawyer in Israel is, is again coming, running into Jesus and saying, ah, what shall I do ah, to, to inherit eternal life? The same ignorance is in the sinner's mind and heart, irrespective of the training he might get. Now, the prophet began to preach to these dead bones. <clears throat> and we, there is no word about his expectation, what was going to happen, but he obeyed the command that came from heaven. <clears throat> and he says, Ye dead bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I prophesied, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. Behold, a shaking, and the, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. Now, you would see that they were out of joint, and here there was a movement, and there was a noise, and as he continued to preach, bone came to bone, and then flesh and then sinews, and then skin covered them, and he continued to preach till at last uh, they were real people. They assumed the form of real people, but still there was no breath in them. Now there is a revelation to us there. You would assume if if it ceased there that nothing happened, that no life came. And there are such revivals when there is a whole stirring of the church 
and movement and go and and attending services and serious praises and and all that going on and testimonies given and all these and there is no life in them. There is more than that required. This is a mighty reformation. A reformation of a whole church, not a tiny congregation, but the whole house of Israel. And there is a movement, and they have the real form, and the bone come into bone, and skin covered them, and they lie there, but the scripture says there's no breath in them. But there is a preparation for breath. As we find... um, here, then he said unto me, Son of man, <clears throat> then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, Son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. Now here we have a new development. <clears throat> he was now not to preach to the bones, nor to those who had formed up into, into the similitude of a living person with flesh and skin upon them. And yet there was no breath in them. And now he is going to prophesy to the wind. Now what is, in, what is implied in this is that he is going to pray to the, to the wind. And it is a prayer to the Spirit of God. That preaching however faithful and however scriptural and, and however thorough it is, that it must always be accompanied with prayer to God. Whatever, whatever, may, um, whatever a man may do and whatever may, we may attempt to do, it is, it is without any avail, without the Spirit of God. And he, he, he prophesied to the wind and, and, and it is rather strangely stated then he said <clears throat> prophesy to the wind prophesy and say to the wind thus saith the Lord come from the four winds O breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live <clears throat> Now, if we take time to consider the revelation that we have here, he's praying to the wind to come and to pray to come uh, from the four winds. Now, the four winds are no doubt uh, what we would say the four cardinal points of the compass from the north, south, east and west that the wind would come 
from the north, south, east and west. Now the wind, the same word is used for the wind and for, for the spirit. It's the same word uh, that, is, that is used in the original languages for wind and the spirit. And here is a prayer for the spirit of God uh, to come. Now if it were natural wind as we have here and if it were blowing uh, from the four winds, from the, these, that is, from the four directions, from north, south, east, and west, it would be dead calm if they were of the same strength and velo- velocity. It would be com- really calm. But he- here we are dealing with spiritual things. And we have... Uh, statements in the scriptures which indicate uh, the differences between the north and the south and the east and the west revealed to us in various ways. Those who are led uh, by the Spirit of God are not led in the same way. There are various kinds of experiences in bringing a soul from as a dead state and, and being without Christ and without God from a dead condition to a living condition in union with Christ. Now Christ is the door through in, unto which everyone who comes to God must come. There is only one door. And we have we have in the scriptures, we have a, a vision of John showing uh, the church of Christ has a huge temple or a huge city. And if you look at its di- dimensions, uh, it is, we cannot understand it. <clears throat> It is so many furlongs wide and broad. It is four square and it is as high as it is long. Now if you, if you try to think of the picture that the scripture gives us of the city of God, it is, it is like a cube. But you cannot think of a city that is four fur, furlongs high. As, as well as four furlongs long and wide and it is square and up and on each side of the city there are three gates on he mentions on the west and on the east and on the north and the south and three gates on that city of God and of course the city is only an, another illustration, a symbol. And, but those who enter the city of God, the city whose maker and builder is God, there are entrances into that city. Now Christ is the only, as I mentioned, the only door into the city, into the city of God. There is no other way of entrance. He himself taught this again and again. In other words, there is no way whereby we can approach God but through the mediation of Christ. He is the mediator because God as he is, is a flaming fire to sin 
and we are sinful in our nature and there is no way in which we can therefore come to God as such but through the mediator Christ Jesus and he is the door now the spirit of God that was working through the prophecy of Ezekiel were bringing the wind or the spirit of God to work and lead some to the north and leading others to the south and leading others to the east and leading others to the west and so forth and what we understand from this is the various ways by which the spirit of God is leading people unto the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved and that that apart from the Spirit, it doesn't really matter what they hear, what you hear, or what you'll do, uh, it avails nothing. But the Spirit of God is working through his own word. And that is why the Apostle says, by the foolishness of preaching, it pleased God to save those who believe. It is not the preaching, it is not, but the power of the Spirit using the Word of God to lead people unto the door of salvation. And Christ is the, is the only door and the only Savior provided. Now, there are some who are led uh, by the north side to the north gate of the city of God. We're keeping to the illustrations that we have in the scripture. And what does that mean? Well, some become aware of their sins and come aware then of the heinousness of having of having uh, sinned against God and broken his law and that we are under his wrath and his curse. And when that comes, it is a terrifying experience to the one who feels his guilt and his condition. The apostle declares it, the commandment came, sin revived and I died. It was a terrifying experience. He couldn't see how could he get away from the blast of the wrath of God against him as revealed in his law. And they come, they come by the north wind, being feeling the, the cold and the deadness of themselves as the, the law reveals to them how they have sinned and how they come, have come short of the glory of God. And then you have others, and they do not understand that experience at all. They come to the south door by the south wind, and they are aware uh, first of the appealing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are led to him not by the law, but by his gospel. And the love that he has revealed to us in, in what he has done, he was the second person of the Godhead dwelling in, in that glorious state when he agreed to come down into the world and be a sin offering that sinners might be delivered 
from the curse of the law. And he endured the curse and the cursed death and all the other miseries that accompanied that in this world. The, the, the crucifixion of Christ began when he took upon him human nature in this world. He met the contradiction of sinners and he was bearing uh, their iniquity upon himself. Our, the sins of the church imputed to him and he was bearing this burden and the sinner will see uh, through the spirit of God working in, in them. They come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ bearing their burden and carrying and suffering in their room and in their stead and they are brought by that south wind into the church of Christ. And perhaps it is after they have come into the church and be begin to serve him that they realize the sinfulness of their nature and how lost they are apart from him and learning so more and more. And then you have others who are brought in by the east gate into the church of Christ. You see, it's the four winds. It is another with the same wind, but blowing from a different direction. It's blowing from the east wind. And if we look at the scriptures, the east wind was the wind that brought blight and destruction with it. It was through the east wind, actually, that a way was opened through the Red Sea, through which the, the Israelites came out. And we find various things that the east wind uh, was producing. It, it, it wiped away uh, the flowers uh, and, and, and withered the fruit from the trees. And so those who are coming in by the east gate into the city of God, uh, the spirit of God leading them there, they find that there is no good in them, that they are poor and desolate and needy. They have nothing in that of their own they can put before God that he would look upon them in mercy. They cannot point to one good thing in their life. <clears throat> and then, uh, as well, you have uh, the, west, the west gate. The gates were on the north and on the south and on the east and on the west. And so we have the four winds here blowing. And the west wind, it's the kind that produces various kinds of, of weather. Showers and bright spells and, and uh, gales and various other things. So the, we find the church crying out to come north wind and to blow the south wind upon the, her garden. Now we have the west wind here as well bringing a different experience altogether. A person can be, he thinks he's saved today and the next day he feels he is lost, as lost as the devils and there is always an up and down. One, more, one day he thinks he's on the right way and the next day he's, uh, he's, he's almost persuaded that he's still as lost as ever. And that is the experience of the one coming in on the west gate. <clears throat> now, whatever gate 
you come in into the church of Christ in another sense there is only the one door there is only the one church and there is only one door as I stressed before there is only one saviour who is mighty to save to the uttermost and although he is not mentioned here it's an illustration as I said at the beginning an illustration of the church of Christ and it is the same church and the same saviour year after year same experiences of the saints of the Old Testament as the saints of the New it's a salvation in the same way by the same Saviour it was through the Lord Jesus Christ though he had not yet paid our ransom it was through him knowing that he was going to do it that the saints of the Old Testament were saved and through him uh, they came into the presence of God and was accepted and it is the same with us had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and uh, it is as simple as that but it's so difficult uh, to say that to a person who is trying to believe and cannot well we can never see our own faith believing in Christ is the same as faith in Christ now faith is a grace of God and a a grace is not something that you can handle or something uh, like like another gift you could take in your hand it's more we we might say more of an influence that, that God exerts upon our souls upon our heart and, and thereby enables, enables that soul to exercise faith upon himself. And this is what, uh, what he does. And he does, it, and he does this through his own word. Hearing his own word. And this is where the foolishness of preaching comes in. There is nothing in the preaching, however... Uh, however way it is declared there is nothing in the preaching of itself it is the spirit of God working through the foolishness of preaching uh, that because that works faith in those who are hearing it faith comes by hearing and hearing itself comes by the word of God you see the, the connection between faith and the word of God and hearing. The hearing itself will come. Perhaps you here are sitting there and you haven't heard a word which I have said. I don't think that I, I, I don't uh, mean by that that I've been saying something that you should have heard. But I've been saying some things concerning your salvation and your mind might have been at the end of the earth. But it is important, very important all the same, that you should be hearing the word of God. That you should come to church and that you should listen to what is declared as long as it is the word of God. For faith comes by hearing and hearing itself. The person who is deaf can be giving an ear to hear the word of God and the word of God creates faith in the heart 
and faith immediately accepts Christ. And once we receive Christ, we are justified and adopted into God's family. These are the wonderful privileges connected with the salvation of a sinner. Raised up from the degradation of sin. Now I mean by degradation that you render the dominion, the rule of sin. Sin is reigning in your heart, however respectable you might be outwardly. There are many such. But here we have a power that comes from God that raises you up from that state and sets you in God's family and made joint heirs with Christ of an inheritance that will never fade away. Surely that is something worth hearing. Well, there is no message to be heard in the world in comparison to the message of the gospel of Christ. That God is reconciled through Christ Jesus to those who believe the sinners who believe in him. Christ is as mighty to save today as he was at any stage. He is he doesn't grow old, his work doesn't grow old, he, the, the bloody shed is calling us loud today as at the day in which it was shed. He is the same yesterday, today and forever, and he is mighty to save to the uttermost. And the, the question that I would put to you is, are you prepared to accept him? as he is freely offered to us in the scriptures. Are you prepared to count the cost and to estimate that you are, that this is the most important thing in the world and the most important thing to you, for we are all sojourners in the world. Our course in the world might be long or short, but at its longest, it's like a day. And if we have misused, if we have neglected our salvation, we are the greatest, or I should say, the most foolish people on the face of the earth who have heard uh, the invitation, Christ has come, as it were, to your door, and he has not there, and are you prepared uh, to count all things lost in order to obtain that salvation which is freely offered to us in, in accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour? If so, you'll ha- you have reasons to rejoice and to look forward to a blessed and glorious eternity. May he bless his word. Let us pray. O eternal God, we seek thy blessing upon us, the blessing of which we are holy and worthy, and we acknowledge 
our unworthiness of it. And may it please thee to open our eyes in order to behold the Lord of glory who came into the world and to die the cursed death that we might partake of eternal life and enjoy the presence of thy glory through the endless ages of eternity. Bless thine own word and apply it effectually to our hearts, though we would speak with tongues of men and of angels, we shall be like sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But thou art able to, uh, to speak a word in season, and may it please thee to do so. Bless us now and help us to sing thy praises in parting, and thine shall be the glory now and forevermore. Amen.